Suppose you're at dinner with someone you love very much. The dinner is at a fine restaurant. There's adequate illumination at your table, but everything else in the restaurant kind of fades into the shadows. You know there's other people in the restaurant, but they don't intrude on your intimacy. There's talking. There's listening. There's moments of silence full of meaning. The waiter periodically stops by to serve you. Then after dinner, you leave, still in companionship with the one you love, but on the street, the conversation is more casual and less personal. This is a picture of prayer. Prayer is an intimate conversation with God. As such, the world isn't banished when we're praying, but it is pushed into the shadows. And prayer is never complete and unrelieved solitude, but it is carefully protected intimacy. God speaks to us. We speak to God, and we believe that God is immensely important in prayer, so much so that we give him our exclusive attention. But there's also a parody to prayer that many people practice, and in this parody to prayer, the details are pretty much the same except for two major differences. The first difference being that the person across the table is self, and the second major difference is the waiter is God. This waiter God is essential but peripheral. You can't have dinner without him, but he's not an intimate part of the conversation. The real focus is self. My mood, my needs, my aggravations, my interests. And after dinner, we leave the waiter behind until the next time. Jeremiah's prayers are no parody. Jeremiah's prayers are the real thing. And we come across one of Jeremiah's prayers in our Old Testament lesson for this 14th Sunday after the Pentecost. Chapter 15, verse 16, in which Jeremiah says, Your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. For I am called by your name, Yahweh Sabaoth, Lord God of armies. They were a joy and the delight of my heart, says Jeremiah. Those two words are together four other times in the book of Jeremiah. And in each of those instances, they are coupled with the words bride and bridegroom. Jeremiah, in this poetic instance of association there, is saying that the exuberance experienced by a bride and a bridegroom is that like eating God's word, which is a way, a metaphorical way of saying studying, reading, and meditating upon God's word. 
want a more robust, a more intimate prayer life? Listen as God speaks to you through his word. What was God's word to Jeremiah? Well, in chapter 26, um, Jeremiah was accused of being a traitor because he spoke against the temple and and Jerusalem. That is, until God's word came to his rescue when an official pointed out that Micah said the same thing, and they didn't accuse Micah of being a traitor. In chapter 29 of Jeremiah, He hears about the hopeless condition of the Babylonian captives, and God tells him to write a word to them, a word of future and a hope. The end is not the end with God. In chapter 36, Jeremiah was reading God's word to Jehoiakim, the king, who took a knife and would cut off the scroll and burn it as he read it causing Jeremiah to go back and rewrite the word. In chapters 51 and 52 of Jeremiah, he was overwhelmed by the raw evil of the Babylonian kingdom. But God's word came to him in a scroll and said, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. It's encouraging to know that your enemies will come to ruin through their own evil. In the lifetime of Jeremiah, Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple and the sacrifice, the monarchy, the city, and the land all will come to ruin. But God's word will endure. A word that undermines tyranny and mobilizes the faithful. No wonder God's word was his joy and the delight of his heart, the love of his life. Does God's word mean that to you? You see, God puts his word in our mouths as well. God's word is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. God spoke to us finally and fully through another word, a word more hopeful than the word written to the Babylonian captives, a word more vindicating than Micah's defense of Jeremiah, A word more enduring than that rewritten by Jeremiah. A word more victorious than the overthrowing of the Babylonian Empire. This word became flesh. Down through the galaxies, through the stars of the Milky Way, past the solar system, into the earth, our Lord came. Jesus came to carry our cross, to bear our burdens on his shoulders, to defeat Satan and sin, and to live again. God's word then is our joy and our delight as well. Then, and only then, do we speak of our pain. And wow, 
does Jeremiah lament in our text today? Jeremiah says, why is my pain unceasing, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? You see, the first part of any relationship is to be honest, off with the masks, away with the pretense. It's me. It's me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's me. The sin of the people, the cruelty of the wicked, the giddy indifference of everyday life had cut deeply into Jeremiah's soul. He felt the pain of unrequited love for his people. His rejection caused hurt in every bone and muscle. Jeremiah lamented, Will you be to me like a deceitful brook, like waters that fail? The picture of a dry wadi, uh, a dry stream, this is familiar for those in Israel. Many of the streams in Israel only have water after a heavy rain. Someone who goes to a wadi and search for water often is returns or is leaves disappointed. Jeremiah likens God to a, this source of water. Is God all he claims to be? Where is God when I need relief? Is God reliable? Some say that believers argue with God while skeptics argue with one another. It's not wrong to argue with God as long as you're willing to listen to his answer. At times, all of us feel the way Jeremiah feels. We feel the pain in our hearts, the frustration with God. But do we take those hurts and pains to God? In prayer, do we come to God with our pains, our hurts, our deepest longings, and let them be known before our God? Everything that Jeremiah experienced and thought and felt, he set in relationship to a loving, caring, saving God. And when you set everything in relationship to that kind of God, something happens. What happens? God speaks to you. Therefore, thus says the Lord, If you repent, I will restore you, and you shall stand before me. If you utter what is precious and not what is worthless, you shall be as my mouth. They shall turn to you, but you shall not turn to them. Jeremiah might have stopped speaking, but his praying didn't end. Our prayers don't end when we say amen. Because God is not our waiter. God is our partner. Jeremiah stops speaking, but he waits expectantly for the Lord's answer. And what does the Lord say to him? He says, repent. Come on. There it is. Repent. That's a key word in Jeremiah's preaching. 
It was a key word in Pastor Aaron's preaching as well, if you remember that. But the word that God gave Jeremiah to preach to the people, God is now preaching to Jeremiah. Repent. It's like when we pray um, that those who cheapen life through the support of abortion would repent. God is saying to us, but you need to repent as well. Repent for letting it get this way. Repent for the ways that you cheapen life. Repent before the Lord. Turn to him. And then he says, utter what is precious. See, prayer reestablishes priority. It makes all the difference in the world whether God is in the first place or the second. Is God first or the people? Jeremiah was concerned about the people. God said, that's not your concern. God is your concern. And Jeremiah then reorders his life through prayer. And then God says to him, I will make you to this people a fortified wall of bronze. Jeremiah had heard that before in his youth when he was commissioned by God to be his prophet. He hears it again to remind him that what God said in the beginning is still in effect now that his promises hold. And what are those promises? That I will save you. I will deliver you. I will redeem you. But we ask ourselves, do those prayers really work? Ask Joseph Scriven. Who is Joseph Scriven? He was a young man who was engaged to be married. And days before he was to be married, his wife accidentally drowned. Joseph was plunged into despair. What did he do? He wrote a hymn. What hymn? What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer.